This is episode number 134 of the Rising Man podcast with Mike Sagoon. It is your highest responsibility to carry your experience as medicine for your people. What's up, Rising Man family? Jetty Azuma here, checking in, bringing you another amazing conversation with an awesome brother of mine here on the Rising Man podcast. If you don't know by now, I am the creator and founder of this podcast and the Rising Man movement, which is a movement motivated towards initiating an entire generation of men into leadership, into powerful purpose and direction so that our future generations can have the men that we need to lead them forward. It's a big mission and we need as many men as possible. So before we start our conversation today, I wanna make sure I remind you to go to risingman.org and find how you can become a bigger part of the Rising Man movement, how you can get more support to be the man that you wanna be in your life. Because if there's one thing I've learned, there's no way we can do it by ourselves. We're not biologically engineered to do that. So whether that's becoming a part of our virtual men's fire circles or stepping up onto a team with me for the next 12 weeks in Inferno to get challenged and held accountable to the things you wanna create in your life. Or if you wanna join us for a four day vision fast on our next Compass experience in the fall here, whatever that is, step up, step forward, lean in so you can be the man that you always wanted to be and that your people are counting on you to be. Go to risingman.org and see which one is calling you right now. Okay, my guest for today is a brother by the name of Mike Sagoon. Mike is the founder of The Unshakable Man, an organization focused on men's total health and wellness, success, purpose, and fulfillment. He's the creator of The Unshakable Man program, an eight-week program to help men reboot and rebuild their lives. He's a certified professional co-active coach, facilitator, and speaker. He works with companies like Dropbox, Google, LinkedIn, Kaiser Permanente, Kumu, and Sahe Wellness. Before founding The Unshakable Man, Mike spent 10 years as a teaching artist, educating and coaching young people to make healthier choices for their lives. He's spoken in front of thousands of people on stage with TEDx and TFCU. When he's not coaching, facilitating, or speaking, you can find him leading men at retreats and everyman men's groups. In this episode, we discuss Mike's experience of entering the world of men's work as an openly gay man of color. Mike shared the first time he stepped into a men's circle and what it was like to feel accepted despite standing out in the crowd. We talked about leadership and rising to the call, especially when it comes to inspiring men to be vulnerable. Lastly, we identified how important and simple it is for us to begin connecting to what we share in common, as opposed to finding reasons why we are different. Without further ado, Mike Sagoon. Right, Rising Man family, got another man here today having a powerful conversation, a brother of mine who's actually down in Mexico right now, Mr. Mike Sagoon. How you doing, man? What's up, brother? Yeah, I'm doing well. A little tired. It's a tired Monday today, a little slow Monday, but it's beautiful here in Mexico. It's warm, muggy, rain's coming soon, and that cools the weather down a little bit. You know that smell of like wet concrete and wet grass? Uh, it's like one of my favorite smells in the world. And that's what it smells like every time it rains here. And it's just like, it's like bliss going out there, putting my feet in the grass and then smelling the wet concrete and wet grass. It's just like, it's gorgeous. So I'm great, man. I'm feeling really good. I'm excited about this conversation. <laughs> yeah, man. It's funny. You brought up a memory for me. Speaking of smells, you know, I grew up on the East Coast where summertime was all about those really intense thunderstorms. And we don't get those out here in California very much, but 
we were up in Lake Tahoe a couple of weekends ago and you could smell the thunderstorm come in and it just brought back all these really vivid memories of being a kid watching the heat lightning outside my window and smelling, yeah. the, smelling the moisture and the nitrogen in the air. It was, so you yeah. made me think of that again. <laughs> yeah. And actually those smells, I forget what the chemical is called, but those smells will travel for miles and miles and miles to alert everyone that the storm is coming, but also those smells ignite oxytocin in your brain. And so it's like that feel good smell. Yes. Well, it definitely makes me feel good. Even just thinking about it, it's, it brings back some nostalgia. So thanks <laughs> yeah, for that. We got man. big smiles on our face. <laughs> <laughs> yes, sir. So yeah, man, people will hear the introduction. They'll hear a little bit more about you and what you've done in the world. I came to meet you through different networks of men's circles. I know that you've been a part of every man and you also have your own gig that you're doing. So yeah, man, you're doing big work out there in the world. How long have you been involved in this area of work? So men's work around five years. I got into it just out of a whim, man. Like I was being coached and I was kind of like in my career, like in this place of like, I know that there's something bigger out there for me and I don't really quite know what it is. And I landed on coaching. And while I was on, in this coaching program, I hired a coach. My coach coached me to basically get into men's work. And she didn't really know what she was doing. She, I just like called it out. She's like, what do you want to do? And I was like, I want to work with men. And she's like, great. What does that look like? And like out of nowhere in my heart, it was just like, I want to do a men's retreat. And I didn't know anything about Mankind Project. At the time, every man wasn't around. I don't know if Sacred Sons was around at that time. But like the only one that was like really big five years ago, six years ago, that's kind of crazy to me. That was only six years ago. But it was like really Mankind Project, right? And I didn't really know what Mankind Project was. And so my coach was like, all right, cool. Next time we meet, you're going to have booked a retreat center. You're going to have to put the deposit down and then we'll figure out the rest. And I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. She's like, I don't care. That doesn't matter right now. Put it in your heart and do it. And so that kind of like transformed into me running my own retreats sort of few years and I started on my own men's groups and still not really knowing what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted guys, communities of men to come together and just talk and hang out with each other. But like not the intention of like guys night out, right? Of like, let's go out and party, let's drink and let's do this and do this, do this. That's not my intention. I wanted these spaces to be safe and I wanted to be deep and vulnerable. And then I ran into every man. They were doing retreats. And at first I was like, my homegirl introduced me to them a few years ago. And she's like, Hey, check out these guys for every man. I like go on their website and it's like a bunch of old, a bunch of white guys, presumably straight. And I'm like, oh, okay, cool. Like just another white men's organization. That's great. And then I can think anything of it and like, let it go. And then another friend a few months ago, a few months later, was like, Hey, have you heard of every man? And I was like, okay, now I really got to check out these guys. If like two people tell me about this organization, I got to check them out. I saw that they had a retreat up in Petaluma in Northern California. The description of the retreat totally fit like my purpose and who I was. They're looking for men's work practitioners or looking for coaches, guys in a men's work space, guys that have their own men's groups. And I was like, great, this sounds like this is for me. And so I got on a call with Dan Doty and I was like, yo, Dan, like, I just want you to be very honest with me. Like when I go into these spaces, these men's wellness spaces, I tend to be the only men of color and I tend to be the only openly gay man. And I'm just curious, like what's the demographic of every man and who participates in these retreats? And he's like, well, you're not wrong, man. He's like, most of the guys that come to our retreats are straight and white. And I don't even know if we've had any openly gay men at our retreats yet. And because he was so honest, I was like, take my money, take it. I'm coming. And we weren't wrong, man. We, I was one of 
three or four men of color. I was the only openly gay man out of 45 or 50 guys in this circle. And it like struck me because it was in Northern California. And I'm like, yo, like this doesn't reflect Northern California. This doesn't reflect the Bay Area. We're only an hour away from the Bay Area. And the demographic in this circle looks nothing like what the Bay Area looks like. And so I brought it up to the team and I was like, what are you guys doing about this? What are you guys doing about making this work more accessible to men of color and also other communities of men like in the GBTQ community? What are you guys doing? And, you know, these are like straight white guys who have it in their heart to be like, yes, that's exactly what we want. And we don't know how to do it. Mm -hmm. And so I started working with them and kind of just like worked my way into leadership and started working on diversity and inclusion and started working on the platform and on the Instagram. And through that, we've seen a significant increase of men in color and LGBTQ guys, identified people in our retreats and in our men's groups. So it's been powerful, brother. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Well, let's pick that apart a little bit because there's a lot of things in there that you just shared. First of all, what an incredible calling, you know, getting that clear voice that told you you needed to move in this direction and then looking for the opportunities and seizing them when they came. I mean, that's, there's so much in just that example of how you followed your path into the work that you do now. I'm really interested in what you shared about just stepping into a space as one of the only men of color and the only openly gay man at the time. Because what I've come to see is that, you know, you said, I I wanted something that wasn't just going out and drinking with my buddies. And I know that when I first got involved in the men's workspace, I carried some personal judgment because it was just a reflection of things that I'd done in the past was guys who would just go out and talk about nothing and sports and beer and chicks. And I carried some judgment around it because I was trying to distance myself from it. But I realize now that what we're doing when we call it men's work is just an evolution or an advancement of that same thing. We all have that desire to connect around something. It's connection. Exactly. It's just connection. Right. Yeah. And finding something a couple layers deeper to connect on that's more meaningful, that's more connected to this higher calling that we all have as men. So really, it's cool because I think that when we first start to see these organizations coming together, it's usually with guys who have a shared belief around something or an experience around something that establishes a level of safety that opens up the door to go into the deeper stuff. So when you look around a circle and you see guys who look like you, think like you, similar or same age as you, is a little bit easier to drop right into this stuff, is my experience. Do you feel like there's some of that that happens at stage one of men's work? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that's a, I've gotten that question a few times. And the question of like, how, what does it feel like to be like the only openly gay man in these spaces? Or what does it feel like to be one of the only men of color in these spaces? Or even what is it like to be the only gay man of color in these spaces, right? Yeah, that's double, right? Yeah, exactly. And honestly, man, like living in the Bay Area, I always had access to men's wellness space or a wellness space. And so it wasn't uncommon for me to step into a space and be the minority in that space. So there was like, okay, I could do this. I've done this before. Have I done this over a weekend with like 60 other guys? No, I've never done that. So like immediately going into this space, I felt the fear of, oh shit, like here I am with a bunch of straight guys who in my past and in my history have been fucking bullies to me, who have called me out, who have beat me up, who have called me names for the way I talked or the way that I walked or the things that I was interested in, right? And so I was putting myself in the face of a dragon, 
right? A dragon that I've always wanted to slay, which is interesting because I've always grown up with a mixed crowd of guys. I've always grown up with in race, in ethnicity, in, in socioeconomic status, mostly straight guys because I didn't come out until I was 23. And so I never really identified. And also like, it's interesting because even in the Bay Area, 10 to 15, 20 years ago, there still wasn't any young people coming out, right? Like I knew I was gay at a young age, bro. Like I knew I was gay when I was in middle school and it took me 13 years after middle school for me to come out. And so I never grew up with openly gay people. And so most of my friends were straight guys. And so coming into this space at Everyman, it wasn't uncomfortable, uncomfortable. It wasn't like, oh my God, like I can't do this. But there was a fear that was in front of me, right? And also, like you add on, like they're mostly white guys, right? And so there's also this like racial thing where I'm like, oh shit, like straight white guys were my fucking bullies growing up. (laughs) Those are the guys who like picked on me a lot. And so the first experience that I had with every man and our first circle, we opened up in a big circle and guys just started popping off and sharing we did like, if you really knew me exercise and guys just started popping off and I was like, oh shit, we're down. Like guys are down here. They're real. (laughs) Okay. So I opened up in my head. I play around like, okay, what's going deep and like, where should I like back off a little bit? And what should I say? What's appropriate? And I was like, you know what? Just fuck this. I'm going to, I'm going to go all in. And so I opened up and I just said, Hey, if you really knew me, you know that I was sexually abused by um, an adult figure in my life, someone that I really loved and respected. And it happened over the course of seven years. And then I said, if you really knew me, you'd know that I'm a gay man of color. And right now I feel scared. And I looked around the room and there was like no judgment. There was just like kind eyes and loving energy just being shot out at me from people's face. I'm getting tender right now, just thinking about it. And like, I could just feel just like the, the welcome from everyone. And from that moment on the entire weekend, I was like, cool, these are my guys. These are my guys. Yeah. A lot of times in my experience, it's simple as that. It's simple as opening your heart and seeing that it's not going to be stepped on or you're not going to get a bunch of arrows shot at you for expressing your deepest truth. It's interesting to hear your story, man, because it sounds to me like you were primed to a degree by your upbringing, your experience. I mean, growing up in the Bay Area as a gay man of color, even though you weren't outwardly or openly gay at the time. That's not a bad place to grow up. You know, I think it would be different had you grown up like in the Midwest with the same type of experience. And I know I've spoken with guys, I've been in circles with guys who come from much more conservative communities that they couldn't even fathom opening up about that. Regardless of what that thing is that's not being able to be expressed, to me, that's one of the most detrimental wounds that we have as men is feeling like who we really are is not accepted won't be approved of or welcomed or valued in this space. And a testament to what you said, I've done a men's weekend where there was 200 guys in the room, all different colors, all different ages, all different backgrounds. And we did a grief ritual. And by the end of it, there's no words being spoken, right? It's just men getting into their grieving process, being facilitated and guided probably for an hour. And I remember that, you know, the lights were out and you could just feel like we were all like one organism going in and out of grief and in and out of support and being supported And the lights come on and I see these guys who their whole faces are covered in tattoos, completely in tears with their arms in a big bear hug with, you know, a guy in his 50s, clean cut, white corporate looking type of dude. And they're just crying, embracing each other. The familiarity, how connected we actually are when we remove some of the details of our stories. It was so healing for me. That was one of my very earliest experiences of this stuff. And I was like, okay, well, if this is possible... (laughs) 
<laughs> then, then what else can we do? I never thought I would see that in my life. And here it is right in front of me. And it's so simple too. It doesn't take much. It's like that one exercise that if you really knew me, if we could really open up to those deepest layers and see that apart from the details of our stories, any pain, any joy, any triumph that we experience is, is really all the same on an emotional level. It's just the details of what gets us there that makes it different. We get caught up. That's right. Yeah, man. It's incredible what can happen in these spaces. And we have guys that come into these spaces and come into it thinking that they're going to leave with something and they leave with something completely different. Right. Or there's this expectation of like, I want to get work done on this. And all of a sudden they're getting work on some deeper seated issue in their life. Uh, we've had guys come in who have lived their entire life in the closet, who have had families, who have had kids. And the first time they're ever coming out is in one of our circles. And to your point, brother, like, what is a life without fully embracing the whole human experience? Right. What is a life without? embracing and experiencing the joy, the excitement, the elation, the ecstasy of life, but also the grief, the sadness, the anger, the frustration, all of those things, right? And if we can experience that with guys, with other guys in its full capacity, that just, that blows our hearts wide open. It gives us access to a new part of being. It gives us access to an authentic, I don't really like using the word authentic, but this like real innate feeling or this real realness of who we are as men at our core and as human beings. Yeah. You know what I mean? Totally, man. And being able to face off with a lot of those differences, you know, currently with the social climate that we're in right now, where there's a lot of attention on diversity and a lot of conflict around diversity and inclusion and human rights and all of that stuff coming up right now. I think it's even more important to discuss these things. You know, obviously one's sexual orientation is one other category that we can separate ourselves by. Our race, our ethnic background, our religious beliefs, these are, I mean, this is nothing new, right? This is what has created bifurcations in society over millennia. And I love the simplicity of just taking all of that off the table and seeing where are we actually the same? Where are we actually not unique? And in spite of all that, I know that there's still a lot of territory to cover. You know, even just imagining an organization like Everyman, being able to sit in a circle with some of the guys from Black Man Now. I'll share a brief story here without, you know, revealing any confidential stuff. But I've sat in a circle with primarily white guys in their 20s and 30s. And we were talking about Black Lives Matter. We were talking about everything that was coming up. And this was like within the first couple of months of it where everything was really hot. And I remember holding space for these guys to share about how they felt marginalized. A couple of the guys grew up in predominantly black and Latino communities where they were actually the minority and what they experienced on the other side of it, that this is not a unidirectional thing. It's an all encompassing, where do I not fit in story that a lot of us have. And also the guilt, obviously, that a lot of these guys felt either ancestrally from their parents, their grandparents, et cetera or even the beliefs that they held in their lives around people of different ethnic backgrounds and belief systems, because that also needs to get expressed too. And I know there's a lot of trepidation for those guys to come forward about the stuff that's currently receiving a lot of heat. You know, and anybody who's a public figure right now who's made a comment in the past, it could be like 10 years ago, or has made a comment recently, even off record, is subject to public ridicule. And not that I don't think those things should be overlooked or condoned, but I think there has to be a greater sense of this universal compassion if we want to actually heal something of that magnitude. And, and I wonder what it's like in your experience, because 
we both identify as men of color. You know, I identify as biracial. My, my dad's Japanese American. My mom's Italian American. So I know you and I share that layer. And you also share another layer of being an openly gay man. So how do you find yourself embracing this dialogue that's happening in your perspectives for all the guys that you're leading and supporting? I think what's important, and I think you've practiced this in your circles, is giving guys a space to just be heard, you know, and like allowing guys to like really give them the space to say, what is on your heart and what are you afraid to say right now? What the hell are you afraid to say right now? And let's say it, let's say it, let's put it out, out here because it's not doing anything living in your heart and your mind, right? And let us hold that with you. Let us hold that information with you and then let us dispose of it for you, you know? And I think that's important for guys to any person of any background to be able to do, to sit in a circle and be able to express what's like weighing on their hearts. But if we're speaking about, you know, in what we've seen in the last few months with Black Lives Matters and police brutality and all these conversations sparking up and like, it comes into this question of responsibility, right? What is responsibility? Like, what are we responsible for? And if we're going to look at uh, the social dynamics of Black people and how they've been mistreated and the generations and centuries of their lives and how they've been mistreated and, and into slavery and, and bought and sold and then all these like, and Jim Crow laws, we have to take into account also that they have been through the thick, they have been through the struggle. And then we have to ask ourselves, so what's our responsibility to support that? What's our responsibility to hold that with them, right? Just like I would hold space for a white man, I would also hold space for any other person of any kind of color to say, how can I hold you in this? And I think the, the common theme that I've been hearing quite often, and this has actually been, we've been told this at every man as we're starting diversity and inclusion, is that Black people are tired of teaching and educating everyone else about their experience. And so then we got to think about what is our responsibility in that, right? What even me as a man of color and a gay man of color, what is my responsibility in supporting black lives? What is that? Because if I look at the privileges that I've had, I can hide that I'm gay, right? A black person can't hide that they're black. And there's like, you know, of course there's like privileges and there's, there aren't any privileges in that, right? There's like, there's pain in all of that, there's struggle in all of that. But also on top of that, I come from an immigrant family, Filipino background, where we weren't brought over here as slaves. We weren't stolen from our land, right? We weren't sold from our land to be here. And we weren't, we didn't undergo generational trauma from the American government. We may have gone through some generational trauma from Spain in the Philippines while we were colonized, which is its own thing, which is brought here. But we also have been able to live the American privilege of being a certain kind of servant for the United States here, right? So many of us Filipinos came here as indentured servants or through the Navy. So we were still serving, you know what I mean? Even as a man of color, a gay man of color, I still have a responsibility to understand and know that everyone's experience is going to be different than mine. But also I need to understand that I have had certain privileges in my life that my black friends have never had, right? I have friends in my life, I have black friends in my life who have been held at gunpoint 14 times in their life, right? I've had black friends in my life who constantly get followed around a store. I have black friends in my life who lived in neighborhoods where there wasn't a day where you didn't see two or three cop cars on the street, right? And so I have to take that into perspective. And so when we think about responsibility, I think there has to be an acknowledgement of like, what was my experience and what might it be like to be in a black person's experience and what can I do to move that cause forward? Right. 
I really appreciate what you're saying here because it's a lot of the same things that I'm hearing this time around, you know, because I went to college and I was in a social justice. I minored in social justice. I was living in a multicultural dorm for the first two years out of my four years in undergrad. And one of my best friends in the world is black and Latino. And there was still so much that I was missing about his experience that I hadn't listened to in the 15 years that I knew him. And in all of the years that I've known all my other friends who come from you know, all different types of colorful backgrounds and different experiences of life. So I think that's the best part that I've seen so far is that there's really a, not just a request, but a demand for these experiences that many different people are having to be acknowledged and witnessed and even just heard just, Hey, can you make room in your life and your perspective of the world to consider this? Because this is happening. I like the word responsibility because responsibility is not conditional. It's something that we all get to take on? Where is my responsibility in this matter? It's very easy for people to say, well, I've never directly persecuted or perpetuated violence on someone because of their ethnicity or their belief system. But how have I not contributed to making the world a safer place for them? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think we, if we tie this back into these circles where, you know, we give guys space to talk about their own kind of prejudices and racial issues or racism in their lives. You know, I, I think those spaces are important because then it allows them to observe what those thoughts are and then get some feedback around them. And also perhaps there might be other guys who are sharing the same experience. And from that experience, we can then connect ourselves with each other and then heal and grow with each other. Yeah. I mean, how healing would it be to have a multicultural, multi-ethnic men's circle where guys can talk about how they felt marginalized and prejudiced against, and other guys can talk about the beliefs that, that were inoculated into them that made them feel unsafe around certain people, just to own that and not to have something else attached to that, that I'm a bad person, I'm a racist, I'm a bigot because I felt this way. Because that's all past stuff. That's all historical things. It doesn't have to be the way you move forward, but it, it can never be faced off with until you address it. And I think that that's really the, probably the most healing way to do that would be in a space in a container like that, where there's an agreement not to judge each other, where there's an agreement to allow everything to be in that space and that the primary objective is safety and honesty. That's why the stuff is so powerful. And I, that's why I love your particular angle on it. The thing that stood out to the most to me when I was getting to know you was your acknowledgement of, hey, I'm a part of an organization that's primarily older white men. And I'm really one of the only men of color and almost always the only openly gay man in those spaces. And I'm taking that on. I'm taking that on to be a bridge. That's what I see you as. I see you as a bridge, building those connections and recreating new possibilities. Well, I mean, that's part of it, right? Is like, I think 10 years ago, people would talk about representation and like be like, oh, fuck representation that doesn't mean anything, right? And I'm like, representation is everything. You know what I mean? Like for a gay man of color to see another gay man of color in a men's organization leading other men, it makes it more accessible for this man to say, yes, I want to do that. Just like it's accessible for straight white men to see other straight white men do this work. It makes it more accessible to be like, great, I want to do that because they look like me. I identify with them, right? And so representation is so, so incredibly important in all of these spaces. We need, and you know, we are having this strong emphasis at every man and also at the unshakable man of like, we are open to any person that identifies as male, right? Which means subtext is if you were born female, but you identify as male, come, we welcome you. You are part of us, right? It doesn't matter what race you are, what socioeconomic background, or where you were born, we want you with us. And we've made a huge strong emphasis on this because the unshakable man, every man is literally for every man. 
We don't want to push anyone out. We're not exclusive of people, of men. If you identify with our work, then damn, come and join us. Sit in our space, sit in our circle because we want you here. For sure. Yeah, I I love that you're sharing that because that's one of the perspectives that I've come to embrace too because when I first started sitting in men's circles, I was naturally sitting in those spaces like we were talking about before, right? The guys that you already share surface level connection with based on the things that you like. So it was really easy. So I was surrounded by guys who, you know, were multicultural, multi-ethnic, straight, you know, spiritually oriented. And those were the things that we would talk about. And so that it was, it was easy to start off from that place. But as time went on, I started to step into circles with guys who didn't look like me. In fact, the, the men's team that I was on for seven years before I came to Santa Cruz, all of those guys were twice my age when I started. And, you know, all of them gray, you know, older white guys who couldn't really relate to my experience uh, that I've had in my life, but also didn't need to. That was the one thing that we said over and over again was, hey, man, why do you think you're so unique? What makes you think that you're special or different from any man in here? And when that veil was removed, it was great. But I also saw the value of connecting to different men in different places because of that's really the entry point. You know, we, we get stuck in this, in the waiting room, not sure how to walk through the door because some of the doors look different. It's like, oh, there's some people who look like me on this side of the door, but maybe those guys have something for me in that room where it's not quite as comfortable. So, well, I mean, when we get down to the core of it, right? Like, you know, in circle, there's a part of us that we share like context and story, but where the real deep connection happens is through emotion and the shared emotional experience, right? Like, the shame that we feel, maybe the story and context is completely different, but we know what shame feels like. And we can feel that with other people. We know what anger feels like. And so those are the commonalities. Those are the common denominators. It's, it it is really less about like the context of who this person is and what their background is and what their sexual orientation is. It's, It's less about that. It's more about like, can you feel in your body? Can you feel these emotions? And can we connect on that level? Because that's where, that's where I feel that the purest connection is, is when I can have a brother in my arms when we're both sharing sadness, right? Or I'm like chest bumping because I'm like so excited and like, I'm filled with joy. You know what I mean? Like those are the emotional experiences that we are getting, like our energies are just vibrating together and we're just becoming cohesive with each other. Now, one of my biggest things when I'm in group and I call people out is like when guys are like, I know exactly what you're going through. I'm like, fuck you, dude. No, you don't know anything, about that, but you don't know what they're going through, actually. You don't, but you know the, the feeling. So what do you feel? Oh, I know that anger. Great. So you know this person's anger. You could feel that, right? Because we all have our own individual experiences, which makes us unique, right? In our own way. But what makes us so much more similar and more powerful is the shared emotional experience that we have. Which is exactly the part of ourselves that we're taught to shut off. So, of course, we're going to see ourselves as separate. And I'm glad that you dissected it here because when you blow everything apart, the the thing that really unites a circle is connecting to that thing that we've always been told not to, is connecting to the emotion, connecting to the feeling of it. And I oftentimes find guys at the beginning of stepping into this space, they either get really into sharing all this emotion that they've never been able to before and it becomes this emotional dump fest, or there's some guys who still don't quite trust it, so they kind of dip in and dip out. And I think it's important to introduce the other distinction that you can have emotions because we're emotional beings and also share emotions for processing and relationship and connection, but not to let emotions then lead your life. I think that's the important, you know, silver slice there is have them feel them, 
but also learn how to rise above and respond to them once they're through. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it is really around the question of like reaction versus response in our emotions, right? And so many of us have been trained and taught to react and to numb our emotions, distract, displace, substitute our emotions immediately. We are taught that it is conditioned in us and we unlearn how to feel which is, yo, we are brought into this world feeling, right? We're feeling everything from our senses. And we are literally in this world, learning our world and learning who we are by just feeling, by being in our bodies. And then we learn language and then our brain develops. And all of a sudden, like we understand that there's like this complexity to this life. And then we, we start carrying on these stories and judgments and thoughts. And then we're also to unlearn how to feel those feelings. And I think the work that we're doing right now, man, is, and I've been saying this quite often lately, is that I'm reteaching guys how to feel, right? I'm reteaching guys how to get back into their bodies so that they can start to heal those parts of their bodies and start to heal those parts of themselves. And I'm in this work to normalize healing and feeling from in, you know? Like, I want this to be a topic, man. I want guys to like shoot the shit and have a men's circle guys night out, you yeah. know? <laughs> Heck yeah. I know for me, it's definitely been a way better investment in my time <laughs> instead of just talking about, because here's the other thing is the balance of having the lightheartedness and the humor aspect that's woven into those serious spaces too. You got to be able to pump the brakes and just laugh at not only yourself, but at other guys and just sharing that joy of challenge. You know, one of the most healing things I've experienced was sharing something that was really painful and hard for me. And then looking around the circle and just seeing guys smile at me and then starting to smile myself and then laughing at myself (laughs) with what's coming up. And then, then them asking some more questions, it just almost brings me to like laughter tears because it's like, oh my God, this life is so hilarious. It's painful and it's hilarious. It's so many different things. And if we get too occupied in one part of the emotional experience. I think that's where things like anxiety and depression, to me, those are all just dead ends. Those are dead ends that you haven't figured out another route around because there's always another option. There's always a detour somewhere. But because I know for myself, when I was stuck in my own depression and anxiety in my mid twenties, what cracked me out of it was looking at it through a completely different perspective that wasn't available to me at the time. And then sharing with other men that said, well, have you looked at it this way? Have you thought of it like this? Have you laughed at yourself? Why are you so serious? I'm like, what are you talking about? This is how I'm supposed to be. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just said a couple of weeks ago, one of the guys in my men's group led me into, we did some character dialogue work and some inner child work. And I had never done this work before. And it was, it was neat to me as a new exercise. So in this work, you bring up your different like characters or personas that you have, these like different identities that you hold, right? And we develop these identities throughout our life, basically for protection, to keep us safe. And they've worked for us in the past. And so I'm like, I'm exploring these different characters in my life. And one of them is like the journalist who I consider him like the Mike who like lays down on the couch and is like in a cuddle puddle with their friends and is just like getting deep and asking all the deep questions and the hard questions. And then there's this other Mike who I've considered the M who's like this bravado Mike who's like outgoing and like the, the performer and he's warm, he's welcoming to people. And as I started to explore these two identities in me, I started to feel this like deep shame of like, God, like that feels like so inauthentic to be these kinds of people because like, I'm like, like a chameleon. I feel so inauthentic and I feel like I'm acting here and da, 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 da. And like the facilitator, the guy that was facilitating me was like, Mike, he's like, Mike, can I just pause you, brother? He's like, 
what if we just shifted the perspective here? What if we just looked at those characters as your heroes because they saved you at some point? And like that minute, I was just like, <laughs> I was like, yeah, like, no, that's real talk, right? Like we have these identities, one, because they serve a role to protect us, but also does it mean that we have to completely shut them out of our lives because they're still part of ourselves that, that do bring us light and good and value, Yeah. Right? Yeah, man, there's so much utility to having those different identities and to throw them out entirely would be to disregard years and years of work you did to build them up. I think it's just taking them into the shop for a tune-up and the tune-up really is just giving clear context and choice around when are you stepping into those bodies? When am I stepping into that identity? Because for example, this is very recent, like a week ago, maybe two weeks ago now, we went on a camping trip and you know we've got two little kids and we were out there with families and also single people who were planning the event, didn't know everything about what it means to plan for family stuff. And so there was breakdowns and my wife was really stressed out about it. So I got to consciously choose to be the optimist, hear her out, everything's going to be okay. But it was definitely something that I had to deliberately put forward because my reaction, there we go with emotions and reaction, my reaction would have been to sink down into a similar place like, oh, this sucks, this isn't fun, doesn't feel good. And so being able to call upon those identities with intention and purpose versus just a survival safety instinct, that's really like the work. Yeah, absolutely, man, yeah. It's beautiful. Cool, man. I know we're getting close to time and I'm going to make sure I get you out of here when you need to, but there's two things I'm still really interested about with you. You said something really interesting before when you're talking about inclusion, right? Anybody who identifies as male is welcome in your spaces. And I've had the same thing for me. It's, it's interesting when we look at the words manhood, masculinity, and maleness, how much they've been clustered together, but actually describe completely different things, not completely, but different things at this point. And so just with your experience and your background, I'm wondering what is the definition for you of a man? Maybe even the distinction between a boy and a man as you hold it. Hmm. I haven't explored that question. It's interesting because I'm in this men's workspace, brother. And like in the men's workspace, we never really, in my space, in my community, we don't often talk about masculinity or manhood. Like those aren't just like topics that we talk about, right? We just, they are men that show up who identify as male. They're in our spaces, but it's rare that we go into this topic of masculinity or manhood. But, you know, when I sink into this, for me, a man is an open-hearted being who is able to assert and stand up for what they believe in with compassion and love. See, uh, and I love that definition because that's an all-inclusive definition. There's a lot of entry points for men to see themselves in that description. You know? Yeah, because I, mean, I think in that you're both embracing the feminine and the masculine. Totally, which that's been a huge conversation and probably a whole nother episode for us to talk about is how do we have access to masculine and feminine? What is the resistance for men who identify as male to embrace a feminine part of themselves? And what's a way that we can contextualize that that makes it a little more inviting? So much good stuff there, man. I guess the last thing I wanted to ask you is... As an openly gay man of color, have you had any awkward or uncomfortable experiences in your, specifically in your leadership of either men who didn't trust you or challenged you, or you could feel like an energy from simply based on those defining characteristics of you? So there's an interesting that, thing that happens in my community of GBTQ people, of men, I think I would be identified as passing right? Which is like a common term in like in a trans community, like passing as a trans male, a trans woman. And so right off the bat, many men don't know that I'm gay. 
and often asked me, because I have a wedding ring, asked me where my wife is from or something like that. And, and I'll just flat out say, actually, it's my husband. And I can tell that there's like this, oh, oh like, a, like a shift in their energy, you know, but I don't play into it, right? I just like, I just keep going. And I think what happens is because I'm in a leadership role and I'm surrounded by these other leaders and I'm held by these other leaders and it gives other participants permission to say, oh, great, look at these guys, accept him. I'm going to accept him too, which is also like to my point of representation. You know what I mean? Like it's so important to be represented and also it's so important for us to be allies for black people, allies for of the LGBTQ community, right? Like all of these things because we represent people and if people that see us and might identify with how we look or what we stand for, we could then have a potential to shift their perspective. We could help them heal, you know? So I love that, man. And that's really cool is that you've already established a bed of trust. And then this sort of, you know, er, in their head comes in like, oh, I didn't realize that about this man. Oh, it's actually not that significant because he's, you know, I already know all these other things about him. So it's, that's cool, man. Thank you for sharing that. I will have to do this another time because I still have plenty of questions for you, but that's all good. Just before we squeeze it in at the buzzer, man, will you tell everybody where they can go to follow you, find you, and hear more about the incredible work that you're doing? Yeah, thanks, man. You can check out our work at www.unshakableman.me. You can find me on Instagram, mike.sagoon, S-A-G-U-N. You can also follow us, The Unshakable Man, on Instagram. And we're launching a 12-week men's emotional awareness program this is our second cohort. We've taken the last month off to revamp it. You probably know this about programming, but we are we are refining, revamping, and we are building. And so we're launching that August 17th. If you want to connect with us and you want to dive deep into that, you can sign up for our newsletter at unshakableman.me. Awesome, man. Well, that's great. And I'm glad this episode's going to pop soon so that the guys can actually get involved with that. So yeah, dude, thank you again for everything that you're doing for making this conversation possible. It's great to connect with you more. And I look forward to continuing to track your journey and connecting more down the road and dipping back into the well. Thank you so much for this opportunity. So much gratitude to you and give those Redwoods a hug for me, brother. Yeah, you got it, man. I'll put in a good word for you. All right, family, I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a pleasure and a joy to have Mike on the show. I love his leadership, his charisma, and how clear he is on his role in this men's work, in this movement that we have to get more men connected to their hearts and connected to each other. I just love the work that he's doing in the world. So make sure you go follow him, go check out some of the things that he's doing and support what he's up to in the world because he's making some waves. And while you're at it, make sure you go to risingman.org to check out the links and show notes for this episode and every other episode, as well as your opportunity to step forward and become a bigger part of the Rising Man movement. Step into our Rising Man fire circles, step into the heat of the inferno and be on a team with me for the next 12 weeks, or come out and join us for a four-day vision fast with our Compass experience coming up here in the fall. Whatever that is, check it out at risingman.org. Subscribe and follow us wherever you're listening to the podcast. Please also subscribe to us on YouTube at youtube.com slash the rising man movement. We've got all of our MMM episodes and so many other pieces of content that are starting to come through there now. So if you're not subscribed there, if you're not checking it out, go, 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 go check it because you're missing out on some awesome stuff. And also on Instagram at rising man movement, we've got our social media cuts and clips from every episode going up there and bringing you valuable pieces of insight for every every day of your life so go check us out follow us on instagram 
Big shouts to my power team. Thank you to you guys who are continuing to help me carry this banner and this message and mission forward. Sean, Rowan, Julian, Ryan, and Mark. I appreciate you guys. I love you guys. Thank you for everything that you do. And all of you who are listening, thank you for listening. Thank you for supporting. Thank you for tuning in, sharing it with your brothers, your friends, the coworkers in your office, all you guys who are passing it around. It's really having a big impact. So thank you for that. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.